Hello again. Moms, I'd like to honor you for a moment, but by actually honoring my mom, who I haven't gotten to say Happy Mother's Day for 13 years now. It's been 13 years since I've been able to share the impact that she's made on my life, investments that are still impacting me today at this very old age of 65. One area that my mom, Mary Patricia Zyman, impacted me was my faith. I grew up in a family where we practiced a form of cultural Christianity, where the church definitely had some impact, but discussion of and commitment to Christ in overt ways, it wasn't part of the landscape of my family. It was kind of assumed, but not really all that impactful. That changed when my mom, at age 51, had a personal encounter with Jesus, and I watched her as a 17-year-old, the changes taking place in her life. It was two years later when I had a personal encounter with Christ. A couple years after that, my sister. Some years after that, some of my brothers. I come from a family of eight. And now when our family gets together, we talk about things that matter. We pray together. Things of Jesus are spoken about. It's sprinkled throughout all that we are together. And it all started with a mom. Not a really young one either. She was 51. Moms, I just want you to know what incredible influence you have on your families. The way you impact everyone. The care you offer. The character you show. The faith you live out. Send a profound message to your kids at any stage of life. Thank you for your witness. If your kids are not grateful for your faith and faithfulness, they're going to likely come around and appreciate it like I eventually did. So I'd like to pray for all you moms here today. And if you're sitting near yours or near a mom that you know and you're comfortable with, you want to put a hand on the shoulder or grab a hand, I'd like to lead in a prayer for these moms before I continue on. God, you have shown yourself to us as Father but in your wisdom and love you gave us moms is more than a biological necessity for birth, but is instrumental for formation. From the earliest days, it was usually moms who displayed the greatest care for our very great needs. The needs eventually became less prominent, but their importance remains. We pray for the many situations a mom could find herself in today, those who are overwhelmed with the activities and responsibilities of a young family, like some of the families we dedicated the children today. Those who are afraid as their teens seem to be forging their own in a different path. For the young adult who seems disinterested in the family. Those who are feeling acutely alone in their parenting. I ask that you would strengthen the faith of these moms and show them your sufficiency for every broken-hearted mom, and for every woman who longs to be a mom and for whatever reason hasn't, please bring comfort. And for those moms for who things are going well, give them grateful hearts and deepen their humility. May all these moms know the hope of a gospel-inspired life, knowing you entrusted your son, your very heart to a mom, and we know why. Thank you for them. And we ask for your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue our trek through the book of Hebrews. 
A book which has some really unique features. First of all, it's the only book in the New Testament we don't know who the author was. We're also not exactly sure who the original audience was, unlike Ephesians or Romans, to whom the Apostle Paul wrote. But this much we do know, the writer of Hebrews really knew their Bible. That is the Old Testament of their time. The Old Testament is quoted 35 times throughout the book of Hebrews. There are whole chapters divide, uh, that are relegated to the whole idea of unfolding tasks that became real in the Old Testament. And what we see is a relationship, a continuity, an unfolding of the storyline of Scripture from the Old to the New Testament. All that the Old Testament promised, all that the Old Testament pointed to, finds its fulfillment in Christ. And we've entitled this series, He is Greater for this reason. Jesus is matchless. He has no rival. He has no equal. And the writer keeps looking back to his Hebrew roots multiple times and comes to the same conclusion. In chapters 1 and 2, we saw that Jesus is compared to the angels. In chapters 3 to 4, he's compared to Moses, that great deliverer and liberator of the Jewish people who led them out of Egypt and moved them towards the promised land. This is pretty profound company, angels and Moses. Now, where we find ourselves now, chapters 5 through 7, we see a connection between the Old Testament priesthood and Jesus. These priests were religious leaders who offered sacrifices that would cover the sins of their people. They stood as mediators between God as man, as conduits of sorts, so people could encounter God. There were many priests, but there was one priest called the high priest who had a lifetime appointment who on one day of, year, of the year called the Day of Atonement would actually get to go behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice. The most revered place to the people of God, one person, one day a year. This book of Hebrews, looking back to and through the history of the Jews, is speaking of exclusive company here. Angels, Moses, the priesthood, and the high priest in particular, and the ongoing story that the writer of Hebrews says, he is greater. Now, we live our days among the flawed, in case you haven't noticed, and as the flawed, in case you weren't self-aware. Let's take the area of telling the truth. In our most honest moments, we know that we are not fully truthful in our lives. And that is why at times we'll appeal to something or someone greater than ourselves when we have a dispute. We do this in formal ways in our culture. We will take an oath during a deposition or in a court case. We use notary publics to make sure that uh, documents are secure and legal. And these formal processes are put in place to keep our hearts in check so they won't mess with each other too much. They keep us in check. So those are the formal ways. There are some less formal ways, even silly ways people make these appeals. We use the statements by, by making the case, I'm really serious here. This is audience participation time. I'm going to ask you to finish these sentences for me. These examples of appealing to an outside authority for believability. I swear on a stack of 
Okay? What I'm saying is such a big deal here, one's not enough. I got a whole stack of them. Okay? This one's a little bit uncomfortable given what we're celebrating today, but I swear on my mother's... Really? Like my mom, who I honored just a few days ago, or a few moments ago, the idea here that if I were to lie, I'd be consigning her to an eternity of uneasiness in her casket, whatever that means. But you get the idea of seriousness here. One I used as a child, both because it was noteworthy and on second thought, gross. Swear to God, hope to die, stick. Yuck. What's up with that? Stick a needle in your eye. Right. Here you're saying you can bring personal harm to me if what I'm saying is not true. I was listening to a news podcast on Thursday when I was out on a walk and I heard one noted American say, I swear on my children and I never do that. Okay? Swearing on something or making an oath is what we do when we want to indicate that what we're about to say is both incredibly serious to us and the purest form of truth that we can express. The text we're looking at today, Hebrews 6, 13 to 20, is found on page 1004 in the Bibles in front of you. If you brought your Bible, you can open it this time or your electronic device. You can look it up there as well. This text that we're looking at today offers you a sure hope and an anchor for your soul, something you can tie your very existence to. It's something that can alter each and every day of your life. Now, before beginning to read, I want to make you aware of a kind of a bad cop, good cop thing that happened in Hebrews chapter 6. The bad cop, played by Tim Porter last week, I did what something this text challenged our faith. And it created a certain uneasiness and tried to put us ill at ease so that we'd pay more attention to the things of God. It said, watch out and don't be so confident, calling for us to continual growth and moving on to maturity so that we can make sure we inherit the promises of God. Today, I get to play good cop. Yay, me. I get to tell you how and why you can be confident. Today, you can encounter certainty that is greater than the Bible, or swearing on, not, yeah, or swearing on the stack of the Bible, because the Bible is not an end in itself. The Bible points. It points to he who is greater. So we'll read the text at this time. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. It reads, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever 
after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this text offers us strong encouragement to hold on to the hope set before us. And this hope I see in this text is based on two things. Number one, a greater promiser, and secondly, a greater priest. I want you to consider, first of all, this greater promiser. Think back at the time when my kids were young, and we might be at an outdoor pool, and I would, the kid would stand on the edge of the pool, and I would be a little distance away and water deep than them, and I'd say, okay, come on, jump. Nothing. Jump. Nothing. Jump. Encourage, cajole, threaten, nothing. Jump. You know, and I kind of pull the kid off and we act like we accomplished something. Another kid, one of the kids sets up there. Say, okay, jump. And someone says my name. I look. And all of a sudden I see these arms flying in the air as he's hurling himself towards me. Two kids. Same parents. Same household. Same dad making the same promise. One flies with abandon. The other one, nothing. Nothing. This text speaks of God as the great promiser who approached Abraham. He's an Old Testament character whose character looms so large in Old Testament history that his name is mentioned 72 times in the New Testament. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all three of these faiths are considered Abrahamic. That's how significant a player, that's how significant a truster he is. Yet Abraham's faith, like any other act of faith, is only as good as the object that faith is placed in. For example, if I have a dead battery in my car, my faith in my car is not worth much. It's only worth the object it's placed in. When someone says, I swear, and all that is holy, they're appealing to a higher authority than themselves to gain credibility so that their word will be counted as trustworthy. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God simply said, surely. That's all he needed to do. Surely I'm going to do this. It has the ring of the Gospels where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, and those who are to reflect Jesus in their lives, where he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so we don't have to do all the gyrations of appealing to other authorities because we are anchored to the greatest authority already, God himself. The promise given Abraham is that God would bless him and multiply him. And Abraham trusted. He waited patiently. And how we react to the promises says something about how we view the promiser. Take my kids, for example. One wouldn't move, the other let her rip. All right? Our text highlights God in two ways in order for us to have strong encouragement in our hope. Two unchangeable ways. First of all, God gave an oath. God is so patient with his creatures. He condescended in order to help us understand and embrace who he is. God's promise was sufficient for Abraham, and it should have been sufficient for the, his offspring, the heirs of the promise. 
When God wanted to show the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. Why? Did the people not trust God? Hmm. Israel's history? Hmm. Our history is shaky at best. Why would God need to take an oath? We need assurance. We are feeble. We doubt, no matter how great the promiser. It was common in New Testament times for a person to make an oath on something or someone greater than themselves, such as the altar or the high priest or God himself. And once such an oath was made in a dispute, and if the person said, I swear on the altar, it was over. It was all over. It was like in a Christmas story when he said, I'll triple dog Daria. It was like, whoa, it doesn't get any higher than that. Okay? If you swore by the altar, that would close the discussion because no one would say that without being absolutely serious. And in his kindness, God lowered himself to the standards of the people so as to put the heirs of the promise at ease so they'd be more inclined to trust. He not only promised, he not only promised, but he guaranteed it with an oath. Secondly, we see the greater promiser by his character. It says in verse 18, it is impossible for God to lie. Consider character so lofty, so righteous, so fixed that he cannot do something like lie. One of the things I look most forward to in heaven is not having any inclination to do something wrong, that it will be as foreign to me as hair on the top of my head. Okay. I, that's going to be a beautiful day. Not the hair on the head. When we get to heaven, you're all going to be bald because you'll be perfect. No, but... But what I look forward to when those inclinations don't even exist in my heart because they are just so alive and so rampant sometimes. So alive and so rampant. This totally truthful one is making the promise to Abraham offering a hope we can hold on to. Two weeks ago, I spoke at Faith Kids over in the refuge room and they had sang a song about God being able to do anything. As a matter of fact, it was in one of our songs earlier today. And I was thinking about this text, and afterwards I came up and I was going to speak, and I said, uh, you sang a song about God being able to do anything. I said, I can think of something God can't do. They looked at me. There's one kid just kind of squirming all over the floor. And I said, can anyone think of something God can't do? And that squirmy kid said, he can't sin. And that's right. There are things that God can't do because he is not constrained by his character. He's free through his character by who he is. Because God cannot lie, we can trust his promises and seek refuge in him. Verse 18 speaks of those who have fled for refuge, who forsake the current and fled for refuge, having strong encouragement. We all seek refuge in our lives, a place for our weary hearts to rest in the complex world we live in. It can be based on our job. It can be based on our house, a glass of wine, your children's accomplishment, how your home looks, your weight at any given time, our religiosity. There's a myriad of opportunities of things to seek to find the rest in our hearts. 
If Christ is your refuge, if you find your life in him, you can have strong encouragement. What does it mean to hold fast to hope? Hope isn't something physical. You can grab, it's metaphysical. It's above and different from our senses in our sensory world. But when one is, has hope in their heart, it alters everything. It changes the way we view things. It brings meaning and purpose. It animates your life. The hope, this hope, is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, something that will hold. And the anchor hold because, holds because of a greater promiser. Based on God's word, his oath, his character, we who have fled for refuge, who go to him, may have strong encouragement to hold fast to that hope set before us. This anchor holds because of a greater promiser. This anchor also holds because of a greater priest. Verse 19 says, we who have this hope, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, of, of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Once again, the book of Hebrew looks back to its Hebrew Jewish roots, back to the temple of Jerusalem. So let me take a moment right now to make a shameless plug for an event that's happening a week from Wednesday, 10 days from now, uh, walk through the Bible Old Testament, that if you attend this event, you will not only know the content of the Old Testament better, you will better grasp the continuity, how the Old Testament flow into the new, and how you'll see the overarching story progress. It will be well worth your time and energy. The Bible is, written, is many books written by many authors over many years, and yet it tells one cohesive, unified story that is life-altering. And one of the important groups in this Old Testament story were the group of priests from the tribe of Aaron. And I mentioned earlier that once a year, the high priest would enter into the inner place behind the curtain. Everything else was closed off. And as a sinner, he had to be ritually cleansed in order to make this approach because he was a sinner coming on behalf of sinners. And the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, the place where God was the closest thing to heaven on earth. And I was racking my brain to see where is, do we see a picture like this in our culture? And then I was YouTubing the other day things around the coronation of King Charles. And I came upon something really intriguing. At one point in this very regal ceremony, they removed a lot of his royal clothing and he was left with just a simple white shirt that made him look like the frail 74-year-old man that he is. And that though Charles' coronation was televised, there was cameras all over the place, there was one moment that was kept off camera and that was the anointing of the king. The anointing is the most sacred and solemn moment in the entire ceremony, and it was meant to be private. Oil was applied to his hands. Oil was applied to his breast. Oil was applied to his head. And in a display of something like the Holy of Holies, four men came with three screens, and the screen went this way from the congregation and this way, and the king entered it, and only the priest could go in there with him. And as they entered this room, the choir sang a, a song written by Haydn from 1 Kings chapter 1 about the anointing of Solomon. 
And the words say, Zadok the priest and Nathaniel the prophet anointed Solomon king and all the people rejoiced, rejoiced, rejoiced. So it was the priest who was behind the curtain who made the frail royal. It's the, king, the priest behind the curtain who takes the one who bears the image of the king and makes him an actual king. And the anointing of Solomon by Zadok the priest pointed forward to one who was to become a high priest forever. As our forerunner, as our trailblazer, the one who goes on, behalf, on our behalf, Jesus entered behind the curtain forever. He makes the frail hopeful, giving us an anchor to hold, hope that is rooted in a greater priest. Now, for old-timers here, and these days, I guess I'm including myself in that group, I found myself thinking about this verse of an old hymn this week. It says, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest in his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And the writer here, trying to give strong encouragement to the readers, we see that the great promiser and the priest, they meet behind the curtain where Jesus has become our high priest forever. Not a one-day-a-year proposition. This greater-than-high priest provides access to God in all the promises of God. Paul puts it this way, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. He's referring to Jesus there. So this text points backward to Abraham and the greater promiser who cannot lie and takes an oath backward to the greater priest who is our hope for the future. And because God keeps his promises and Jesus is a greater high priest, we can look forward in hope. A few weeks ago, Tim Prince painted a really impactful picture, perhaps you remember, of a man who took a wheelbarrow on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. Remember that? And he told the crowd there, he said, how many of you believe I could stick a person in this wheelbarrow and take them across the gorge here? And the crowd roared, and they all said, yes. And he said, who'll be first? And it was crickets. It is one thing to believe in something intellectually. Oh, I believe there's a God. Yeah, I know Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead. It's altogether a different thing to trust in something or someone. That is, to get in the wheelbarrow. And you'd have plenty to be nervous about if you were placing it in the likes of me. But because of who God is, because of the one who cannot lie, since Jesus is our forerunner and friend, fleeing for refuge to him is not a risky endeavor at all. And while the idea of going over Niagara Falls in a wheelbarrow might give you the willies, as it does me, trusting in this greater promiser and in the greatest priest is more like sitting here on Carmichael Road and worrying about the St. Croix flooding up to us. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I offer you strong encouragement today to hold fast to this hope, this sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. 
In other words, because Jesus entered the inner place on your behalf, your identity can be rooted in him. Whether your 401k is going up or going down. It's funny, I said 401k and I saw a bunch of heads look up. <laughs> up or down. Whether the doctor says all clear or terminal. Whether your spouse says, I'm all in or uh-uh. Whether this school you've based your whole life trying to get to says, we don't want you, and you're wondering, what's next? What's next? In Christ, you have an anchor, an anchor that can, be, that can hold, no matter who you are. Not only for the likes of Abraham and Paul, who, by the way, called himself the chief of sinners, for the saints all through history, and the likes of you and me. However you see yourself today, I offer you, no, much more importantly, the greater promiser offers you an anchor, the forever high priest, Jesus. Another verse from that old hymn I mentioned earlier says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Because of the great high priest, the likes of me can stand faultless before the throne. The likes of you can stand faultless before the throne. Because of what you've done? No. Because of the greater promiser and the greater priest. So I simply want to ask this question. What's your soul anchor to today? Where are you finding your meaning and purpose? What's controlling, orbiting around your inner person that you're living out of? I commend to you a greater promiser. I commend to you a greater priest. Why? He's greater. He's sufficient. He's worthy. So I ask for you to join me in prayer, okay? Gracious, gracious God, thank you that in Christ you offer an anchor that will hold. Give us eyes to see through the idols that vie for our heart's affection and may it instead find its rest in you. I ask this gift especially for the moms here today that they may be freed both to love and be loved because they have found in you a love that will never let go. We receive your strong encouragement given us today in your son who lives and reigns with you as our high priest for such grace, for such hope, for such mercy. We give you praise through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to please stand and join us in singing.